Welcome to another edition of the OK Preps Extra podcast. We've uh, taken a few weeks off for the PGA, but uh, glad to see Barry Lewis that you have survived the PGA, and we'll uh, we'll touch on that a little bit. I know this is the uh, high school podcast, but we'll we cannot not talk about the PGA. But uh, but let's start with uh, press conference today that you were in attendance at the uh, talking about uh, the, the big news of Owasso and Bixby. Uh, opening the football season on uh, August 25th at Chapman Stadium. Uh, that's pretty exciting. What kind of what are your, some of your thoughts after going to the press conference today? I'm all fired up to get the season going right now after going to that press conference because when there's been press conferences before um, to hype a game, it was very reminiscent of the press conferences that the Backyard Bowl has done, Mid-First Bank Backyard Bowl has done between Union and Jenks. Um, and so when you have that type of press conference, usually three days before the game. So and it's usually on a Tuesday. So this was on a Tuesday. So it's like, hey, let's have the, get these guys playing Friday. Let's roll. <laughs> it's football weather, too, this week. Totally. So let's get it going right now. It looks like both those teams would be ready to go right now. But, uh, no, they're just in spring practice. But it was really exciting to be looking ahead because high school football seasons, um, that game's only like 14 weeks away. So are 13 weeks away. So it's going to be here before we know it. And these teams are excited to get after it. And it, it was a really neat event at Chapman Stadium today with the press conference. As I said, it was very reminiscent of when the Mid-First Bank Backyard Bowl was held at TU for the most part from 2004 to 2018. Um, and it was that was really the first time a high school football game had a presenting sponsor in the area and you really had that bowl type atmosphere which started with in the press conference on the Tuesday beforehand was really a part of that and so that was really pioneering stuff back then when um, back in 2004 and some of the principals today that I talked to this is a neat part of it were part of that back in 2004 you had Owasso coach Bill Blankenship he was union's head coach back then and then you've got uh, Bixby head coach Lauren Montgomery, who was a Jenks assistant back then. And then you have Owasso defensive coordinator Antonio Graham, who was a standout for Union back then and was one of the players representing Union at that introductory press conference in 04. And this is all a new thing. So to see them here today, a part of this, the Battle of the Burbs is what it's called, presented by Quick Trip, that it... Uh, it sort of took me back 18 years, and I think all of them uh, had flashbacks to that, too. I was talking to Coach Blankenship and reminded him when uh, the only difference today was that the press conference was at Chapman Stadium um, instead of the Reynolds Center, where it was in 04. And um, I remember taking – we took Coach Blankenship and Coach Alan Trimble of Jenks up to the roof at, on the Reynolds Center and had just like a, a classic photo of them. Uh, it was it was really a beautiful shot. So um, a lot of great moments of high and from the backyard bowl when it was at Chapman Stadium. Chapman Stadium hasn't had a uh, marquee high school game like that uh, regular season since eighteen. So it'll it'll be great to have a game where you where I'm, I'm expecting way more than 20,000 there. It's going to be like it was when the Backyard Bowl was being played there in um, 
15, 20 years ago when you'd regularly get crowds like that. And as Antonio Graham was saying, yeah, Oklahoma football needs that again. So you need that big, um, big time crowd there because we haven't had that at a football game in Oklahoma for a while because like the state championship games where you might normally have that, um, it's sort of because of stadium at UCO, it's not that big. I mean, I think for the most part, it's perfect size for it, but you can, you're not going to get a blockbuster crowd there. And I don't know if you get it anyway, because uh, that was the thing. Yeah. One of the reasons they moved there is that uh, you'd have it at bigger stadiums, um, state championship games at bigger stadiums, and you weren't getting blockbuster crowds anymore. But I really think, and now that Union and Jenks have moved it back to campus sites, you're not going to get a blockbuster crowd. So not that you might have, I don't know, even if you had it at Chapman Stadium, because attendance had been declining in the last years when it was at TU for that game. Um, you weren't going to get a blockbuster crowd, but this one really has that potential um, because this is a game both Owasso and Bixby really want, and their communities are fired up about it. How did we get here, Barry, with this this game and QT sponsoring it and moving it to QT? How did I mean? It, it seems so obvious now, given the gravity of this matchup. You know, it, it makes perfect sense now. But how did this idea start? Well, it really. It started percolating back in 2019, and um, when both Owasso and Bixby uh, won the state championship that year, and uh, then it looked like Bixby was on the way, trending towards moving to 6A1, which is another part of this equation, and Bixby and Jenks, Bixby needed another non-district game because they're going to go into the same district as Jenks which was a traditional game for them, a non-district. So Bixby and Owasso just seemed to be a perfect fit. The coaches started talking. And uh, so it just all came together. And uh, then Quick Trip, uh, they, uh, they wanted, obviously saw that this has the potential to be really, really big. And so they wanted to get involved. And uh, just like MidFirst Bank, did uh, all those years ago with Jenkson Union. So it's just sort of like a, a perfect fit for Quick Trip and Bixby and Owasso in the Battle of the Burbs. It's a two-year deal, by the way. Do you anticipate a sellout at Chapman Stadium? I don't know. That's, I don't necessarily anticipate a sellout, but I, I, I think you're going to get way over 20,000. I think I think twenty to twenty five thousand is very realistic. Okay. I just think these communities are fired up. I mean, Bixby's got a forty nine game win streak, and I think this just could be really electric. And it's on a Thursday night, and it's a season opener, so I think you've got a lot of things going for it right there. And remind me, Barry, of, of the of the TV broadcast for this game. Has not details have not been announced. Okay. Okay. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't sure on that. So you you got to think it's going to be on somewhere. So that'll that'll be even added, some added intrigue for for this game. Well, let's talk. You want to talk about the PGA for a minute? Let's kind of get off topic sure. and talk about golf. Um, you've had a, a little bit of time to kind of sleep on it, and and you know, and you've seen seven of the eight majors now at Southern Hills. Uh, so give us your 
impressions of what of what you saw now that you've had a little time to sleep on it. And I, and it was really neat was after I um, got home late Sunday night that I got it because I was on the course when the action was going on uh, down the stretch on Sunday. And I got in, I couldn't wait to get home and see the CBS telecast. And I was just so impressed at how good on, on TV, national TV, primetime TV, that uh, Southern Hills looked and the city of Tulsa looked. I mean, it was just a beautiful day. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a more beautiful day. And here you've got, and when you had the playoff, it was running over into the 60 minutes time slot, which of course is one of the most highly rated <laughs> time slots. You've got this big national viewing audience. And so anyway, just thinking back uh, now that we're 48 hours removed almost from it, that the week just couldn't have gone better for Tulsa and Southern Hills because just think of all the bad things that could have happened. Like you could have had, you know, at this time of the year, weather so volatile and so you, I remember a few weeks ago thinking when we had some really bad weather warnings pop up, it's like, oh, please, let's not have storm damage to Southern Hills. Avoided that. And then last week in itself, there were some, at times, some ominous forecasts. But except for 37 minutes at the start of Saturday's round, there are no weather delays. Hooray. Um, and then, although one national writer called the, uh, temperatures on Thursday and Friday oppressive. Uh, I think for most people who live in Oklahoma, it was just, it was just warm. Um, and so really got lucky with the weather. Uh, I think it was, it was, it was nice Thursday and Friday, a little warm, but it is Oklahoma. We got to see the gamut of the weather. And then Saturday, it was cold for a while. Sunday was pretty perfect. Um, but no, no bit bad weather. As we saw, we really dodged a bullet, so to speak, because on Monday and Tuesday, it's been raining all day. Exactly. So really, got, it couldn't have gone better weather-wise. There are no major bad incidents that happened for the most part, not 100% of the golfers, but over 90% of them, I think, really liked the course. And the course played out to the winning score uh, tied at five under uh, going into the playoff. I think, to me, that's the ideal score in that vicinity that you want for a major championship. I think, I think you want par to mean something, and it did at Southern Hills. And then to have a great champion emerge, as Justin Thomas did, and one of the best comebacks of all time, how exciting is that? Uh, there's just memorable shots, a memorable champion, um, a beautiful week, and I think it was just great exposure for the city of Tulsa and Southern Hills. Uh, I just... You can't ask for much more. And um, so I, I think it, it was such a great week. And one little anecdote I want to tell you that uh, in the media center, there are big photos on the wall. It's sort of like a, a wall of champions. And it's arranged pretty much alphabetically. So going into it, you have this big photo of Dave Stockton, with his wife uh, winning at Southern Hills back in 1970. And then right next to the Stockton photo was Justin Thomas, who was the 2017 winner. They just happened to be naturally together uh, from an alphab alphabetically. But to see Justin Thomas win this time, so they weren't just connected alphabetically, they're now they're connected in history because they're both Southern Hills winners and two-time PGA winners mm -hmm. now. 
So I just thought that symbolically that was really neat. That's pretty cool. So when Pereira put his tee shot on 18 in the water, where were you? I was on the left uh, left of the rough. I was on the left side of the hole. So I actually had a, a surprisingly good view of his tee shot because it was pretty packed. I mean, the crowds were just capacity and it, and so it wasn't the easiest to see, uh, especially for those of us outside the ropes. Um, so, but I had a really good view of that. So I knew when he hit it that, uh-oh, this is not, even if it hadn't reached the water that uh, you didn't want to be where he hit it. So uh, uh, that was definitely one of the most memorable shots, not in a good way, but it was one of the most memorable shots in Southern Hills history. Did it look like they were saying on the TV telecast that he, I mean, the, the swing is, is another question, but that he rushed, he rushed up to take the shot. Did you see that? Did it look that way to you? It seemed like that. Uh, okay. uh, him not being in that position before, that uh, I think the nerves got a hold of him there. Understandably, it's not the first time it's happened to a golfer. So um, um it's happened to the best of them throughout the years. And the whole key was how things could have been different on 17 when he had a very makeable birdie putt. is about a 10-footer. And I don't know how the ball didn't go in. I mean, it looked like he hit a – I had a good view on that. And it looked like the ball was going in, and then somehow it just stayed out. It was pretty incredible that he didn't make that – I mean, not that it was an easy putt, but – uh, and that would have could have made all the difference because if you're up by two as opposed to one, you can play that hole differently. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that was a sort of a theme all week long. It's like you want to be going into number 18, which is the toughest hole with a two stroke lead. Huge difference between two and one. It was like Hubert Green back in 1977. It was huge for him to be going into 18 with a two-stroke lead, and he needed those two strokes because he he wound up having to make a testy four-footer to win. So yeah. um, Pereira was not able to be up by two because that birdie putt somehow didn't go in on 17, and that just set the stage for the dramatic finish on 18. So of the majors you've seen at Southern Hills, and you've seen a lot of them, where does this one rank? Uh, it's got to be number one. Uh, I think it's going to be number one on a lot of lists. I think we talked a little while ago about uh, our – I've discussed that in one of my col memories columns leading mm -hmm. up to the PGA, how there were such a varied opinions on what was the best major at Southern Hills. Um, to me, the uh, 2001 U.S. Open had been the best major at Southern Hills. But for some people, and a few, some others also agree with that, but some others rank it as the worst. And um, some, um, I think in some other majors, which people are really high on, I'm not very high on. But I think now, after this one, this one was so good, especially the way it finished, I think there's probably going to be a lot of unity when it comes to picking the number one major at Southern Hills in every way. I think everyone's going to be on board and saying the 2022 PGA is number one. So let me, I'll, you hear this from time to time, Barry, or like on national, uh, national broadcast, you know, golf pundits, whatnot, or, or whoever, they'll say sometimes that someone didn't win the tournament as much as someone might have lost it. Uh, 
And I hate, I hate when I hear that. And you heard a couple of, at least I did, I heard a couple of people say that like, well, Justin Thomas didn't as much win it as the others kind of lost it. And I, I hate that saying, I hate that logic. What, what, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I've got mixed thoughts on that. I think Justin Thomas definitely won it. Uh, he went out and shot a 67 on a tough course in the final round. Yes, some others had to come back to him for him to pull off the comeback, but he had to shoot 67 to get into the playoff. And then once in the playoff itself was very interesting because he was two under in the three-hole playoff. And Zalatoris uh, would have been one under. So Justin Tom, very interesting playoff, by the way, because the holes they selected 13, 17, and 18, because you had the two easiest holes for the week and then the toughest hole. <laughs> so Yeah, that was a good call. Yeah. Justin Thomas, I think you could say he won it. I mean, yes, Pereira did make the mistake on 18, had a bad shot, but uh, Justin Thomas had to make a lot of good shots in order to be in position to come back. And, and Will Zalatoris, too. Yeah, and, and I understand the point people are trying to make when they say things like that, but that I, I sort of feel how you feel that, yeah, he had some help, but if he doesn't go out and shoot 67 and then hit that great shot on 17 in the playoff, I mean, he, like, I, I just think it's a little unfair. And, and I heard a couple guys say that. I'm not saying that's the prevailing thought. It's not. But just through the years, you, you know, every now and again, you hear people, you know, say things like that. And I'm like, to me, it's sort of, discredits what the winner actually accomplished in a way. So I, yeah, I, you know, well, what else, Barry, any other, you, uh, you, you told me earlier, you spent what 90 hours at Southern Hills. Was that the whole week or just, just championship play? Oh, that was the seven days. Uh, okay. 90 hours were spent at Southern Hills uh, over the seven days. Uh, uh, probably about 10 hours each practice day, and then about 16, 17, uh, 16 hours daily for the most part during the tournament, or 17, because I was there, as you can tell in my minute, or my round the clock column, that uh, I was there for the first shot every day, and I was there for the last shot. Are those as fun to do as they, they seem like they are from reading them, Barry? The round the clocks? They are fun, and one of the fun things about it is just meeting a lot of different people who attend the tournament from all over um, because those who read the round the clock can obviously say it's not all about talking about what strokes were made. It's about telling the stories of some of the people who attend the event. I met some right. interesting people through the years by doing that. And uh, uh, that's part of the fun. Yeah. I mean, do do you just walk up and start talking to people? I mean, how, how do you find some, I mean, because you had some really good, you know, really good anecdotes in those around the clocks. How, how are you finding those people? Well, usually it's um, um, going from the most part, it's sort of like looking at the crowd, looking at the people who are gathered at a hole. And, and it's just sort of, I guess, some instinct through the years that I've gathered to saying, okay, do they look like they would be good to talk to? Um, do they look interesting? Do they look, they look like they have an interesting story and then just go up and approach them and uh, see if they want to talk. And most of the time, 
Um, they will talk or want to talk happy. It's a golf tournament. They're having a good time and happy to be there. Um, not all the time. Cause sometimes I've been refused saying they're not interested, but sure. uh, most of the time they want to talk. And, um, in case of one of the, the individuals that I talked to, sometimes uh, he came up to me because he'd seen me talk <laughs> uh, to a couple. And so he came up to me and uh, he had an interesting story. He's a, an author uh, who was writing a novel, the one I was talking about, uh, who's writing a novel that will include the PGA at Southern Hills in his final chapter. Good deal. All right, Barry, let's wrap it up. Uh, I'll mention a couple of things here. Uh, the all-world process still ongoing. You're going to kind of turn your focus back to the all-world awards a little bit. Uh, you can order tickets at allworldawards.com. Uh, the show is August 2nd. Um, Barry, uh, you can check out our podcast on uh, Apple, Spotify, and Google, and we sure appreciate you checking us out. And uh, am I leaving anything out, Barry? Just uh, also, because we didn't get a chance to mention it last week, um, congratulations to all the spring sports champions um, that in uh, Owasso Rams in baseball back in the, in the, at the summit of Class 6A baseball for the first time since 2015. So uh, again, it was an interesting rant season for the Rams because going into the state tournament, I thought that... Um, Every year going to state tournament, I consider them one of the favorites. And I thought going into this year's state tournament, they are probably, this is probably their least likely team that would win a state tournament, which to me then I thought going in, this is the year they'll probably win. <laughs> and sure enough, they did. They had got their pitching as a strength and uh, their pitching came through with some timely hitting. That's usually the combination need to win a state championship. Uh, Brennan Phillips, who will likely be a very high draft choice in July, um, um, pitched was one of those pitchers in the state tournament. He's also had a really good year as a hitter. So I thought it was a very interesting season because Owasso started the year like 16 and one. They wound up winning 12 of their last 13, but in the middle, they really had a rough patch, a very on Owasso like rough patch in the middle. And then there was that key game in, in regionals that could have gone either way against Stillwater. They were on the verge of losing, but they found a way to win in the regional winner's bracket game. And uh, so, and that was like really springboard for them to go on and win the state championship. So, uh, but uh, there's a fine line between, in not just in this case, in many cases, between winning a state title and falling not just short, but well short. So, um, uh, the Owasso Rams, however, came through when it mattered most and are the Class A six Class Six A state baseball champions again for the first time since 2015. All right, Barry, we'll uh, we'll catch up again next week and appreciate everybody for listening.